Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Brittany Huff. I am the Assistant Director of Pharmacy for Pediatric Services at the University of Chicago Medicine, and I will be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Joining me today are Sylvia Belford, Administrator for Clinical Systems Education at Mayo Clinic, and Evan Colmenares, Pharmacy Coordinator for Analytics and Outcomes at UNC Health. Today's topic is Translating Data into Action, Part 1, the first of a two-part podcast series. Thank you both for joining us, Sylvia and Evan. Before we begin our topic, I would like to give you both time to introduce yourselves and describe a little bit about your current role and the structure of your team. Thank you, Brittany. My name is Evan Colmenares. I am the pharmacist coordinator for our analytics and outcomes team centralized within our pharmacy shared services at University of North Carolina Health. I've been with the team uh, in some sort of capacity for about six years now. I actually started as the, the first intern on the team when I was completing my PharmD and, and they just couldn't get rid of me, I guess. In my role, I serve as our technical subject matter expert for anything pharmacy data across the system, both for our internal pharmacy stakeholders and our external partners like other folks that are uh, other clinical programs or ambulatory reporting or hospital quality or even our IT groups that may be familiar with the systems but less about the, the data or the intricate details that can come along with pharmacy data. Thanks, Brittany and Evan. My name is Sylvia Belford, and as Brittany said, I am the administrator of our clinical systems education team at Mayo Clinic. My team focuses on end-user education across the clinical spectrum. We train all new nurses, physicians, and other clinicians, along with our administrative leaders, where we've got some reporting and analytics education offerings that we provide. We actually partner with, but are not the training team for the pharmacy department. And so we work very closely within uh, the pharmacy leadership structure, but we are uh, separate from them and work more closely with the broader administrative teams. I do have a history, though, of working on implementation of electronic health records, setup of different teams in a couple of different organizations before I came to Mayo Clinic and helped lead the EPIC implementation here along with the initial training team following our implementation. So I'm excited to share some of that broader perspective with you today as well. We are excited to hear what you both have to share for us today. So let's jump into our content for our topic. Being realistic, I think it's fair to say that all data isn't perfect and it can be a little difficult to build that understanding early on in a project. How would you all suggest that an organization can get started to justify a data team and demonstrate value with what they currently have? I can start with that. So as I was thinking about this podcast, I came across a quote in the last week that I wanted to share. It's from a poet, George Herbert. And he said, do not wait. The time will never be just right. Start where you stand and work with whatever tools you may have at your command and better tools will be found as you go along. And I think that that 
resonated with me because to start a team and to really understand your data, you do need to start with a little bit of knowledge and grow it as over time. As I see projects come through and as new programs and processes come through into various departments, including the pharmacy department, I know that project managers and leaders, as they justify new technology, justify some metrics around that technology. What is this going to improve? What is this going to change in our practice areas? And often that focus is just the metrics of the project and the implementation itself. But I'd recommend as you have those discussions that you really have that long-term plan in mind. How are you going to capture data from the new process or the tool that you're introducing ongoing, month to month, year to year, quarter to quarter, and how you want to understand the impact that's having as well as just its overall workload impact. So what are those expectations? What does it take for you to achieve them? Those are important to start up front with. And then who's going to do this work? I think we often underestimate the complexity that the data can have and what it takes to really understand the new technology or the new program in light of the current and existing data that you have. If you're crossing vendors, if you're introducing a new vendor, you're crossing databases, you've got some information flow that makes it complex for your reporting team to pull data out in an easy manner. And the old information doesn't go away. So they may be spending a lot of time continuing to update you on, and creating reports on a regular basis for existing metrics. And as you introduce new things, I think that's where you really need to have a conversation with what will this take? Talk to your vendors, talk to your technical leads within your team, and really making sure that you've got that expertise with the pharmacy focus or the practice focus that you're looking for as you build the team. Those to me are some of the keys to demonstrating the value with your data and, and in particular building a team. Evan, what do you have in mind? Yeah, so I think that you know everything Sylvia said is really spot on. And to kind of agree with one of her points, something that we really asked our our community of, of end users of our reports to do is, if possible, involve one of our analysts on your project team or invite them to some of your meetings so they can listen and hear how you're trying to develop a new service or what workflow steps you are thinking about taking, and they can kind of give input of what they what data they know is available and how easy or what the magnitude of the lift would be to develop something. Is it something quick that we can do PDSA cycles on and help you support as you're implementing, or is it more of a larger retrospective analysis? And really kind of being there at the table when the, the decisions are, are being made can help just tweak the littlest thing to make it reportable and to make it actionable which we've had a lot of success with. In terms of trying to justify a data team and, and demonstrating value is, is just start small and find an area that, that may be able to easily be impacted. So uh, when I say easy, it can be uh, from a variety of, of different faucets, but thinking of it's easy to get to the data or to have accessibility to the data and use it, it is a an area that generates a lot of data. So typically I think of bread and butter operational areas where the manager and the leadership may be so busy doing, you know, day-to-day -day operational nitty-gritty activities that they haven't had time to, to look back and do their own analytics and reporting and look at trends and things like that. And so our very first dashboard in the department was focused around dispenses in our operational areas and just looking at 
hours of the day that things were happening, when batches were occurring, and were there ways to optimize batch times, or were we seeing a lot of orders in our oncology clinic being all released at a certain time of day, and that was causing a backup. Since uh, Sylvia kind of uh, elevated us with a a poet quote, I think that I could add in a, a quote from Dr. Seuss that I really like around analytics. Well, I guess Dr. Seuss wasn't talking about analytics, but it fits well as sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. And not trying to lose sight of making anything slightly better should be your goal. Like you shouldn't be trying to come out with the best dashboard that anyone's ever seen that's going to solve everyone's problems. If you can help one manager make something more efficient, you're starting to show value. And and that's really where it is, is, is trying to do those small pieces here and there to help kind of show this is a gap our organization doesn't have, is quick, reliable analytics and reporting kind of available that, that aren't necessarily focused on more enterprise level metrics. Thank you. Those both were really good examples on justifying a data team. And I, I have to say, I am one that lives off quotes. <laughs> and I like the both of the quotes that you guys provided. And both of you all share similar perspectives that it's really important to figure out the tools that you have and figure out how to work with them, identify what's feasible and, you know, keeping it simple where we can. Saying on the topic of teams, you all touched a little bit on, on this topic already within your answers, but I, I think it can sometimes be difficult for teams to figure out how to build the right data team and who's going to manage the data and the metrics. So how do, you, how do you figure out who should be on the team and how big or small should it be? Yeah, I, I don't mind starting out with this question. I think to to start with, there is no one right answer. I think that if you are offered the opportunity to start a team and the only resource that can be allocated is a technician half-time or a pharmacist one day a week, then then you should jump on it and kind of take that opportunity. I think that uh, our team is made up of of three pharmacists and seven non-pharmacists, and we really kind of complement each other. And we are very blessed to have a very large team. And, and so don't feel like you also have to start out with a, with a huge team. We started with a half FTE that was split between controlled substances and data analytics. And so if we can grow and, and show value, so can you. From going back to each, uh, each type of person brings their own perspective is the pharmacist especially those that have had any operational experience uh, working in a, in, in a pharmacy or uh, clinical experience can kind of help your end users think through their data requests. Oftentimes, we get stuck in, in familiar lingo, like how many dispenses of Zofran did I send to oncology clinic or, or did the oncology clinic use? And, you know, after some some questioning back and forth and discussion, you find out that they were worried about a new side effect or issues with, with some sort of monitoring or whatever it may be. And they really wanted to know how many patients were being administered Zofran, not how many doses were physically sent to the clinic. And, and really working through those pieces are where folks with a pharmacy background, whether they're a technician or a pharmacist, can really help reduce any any wasted time in data requests and can also kind of join in on project teams and help brainstorm things. That being said, we also have 
uh, folks on our team that have more of a technical background that came from IT, and they are typically the first ones to catch data inconsistencies and have a little bit more of that technical eye of troubleshooting and documentation that sometimes I can you know, lose if I'm kind of flying around too fast thinking about future states of projects. Uh, so I think that, you know, ideally in a perfect world, if you were able to create a team with a reasonable but any amount of resources, starting with one pharmacist and one non-pharmacist would be great. But I think that, you know, starting with half of one person, whether it's a, a technician and then like uh, a pharmacist that's their supervisor that can kind of help them work through things, you can be successful in, in any way as long as you're able to dedicate resources. I will say that it's very hard to maintain someone partially dedicated like one day a week if you don't make sure that that one day isn't, well, you know, we're down a pharmacist today. Do you think they can staff half of that day or, or anything like that? The time that's dedicated for analytics, if at all possible, really needs to be dedicated for analytics. But otherwise, I think there's no right or wrong size. Yeah, Evan, I, I appreciate all the comments that you made because I think you touched on the key ones I was going to bring up as well. Definitely no one-size-fits-all team. Every organization is different. Everything in the reporting and analytics space, I say, is also very personal. What any individual needs with their reports and with the data that they're looking at is rarely the same. You may be looking at it from different lenses and looking for some of that different information. And getting to the core of how can you serve your end users is definitely a talent that you need on that team. And often that talent comes by having a pharmacist on your reporting and analytics team who truly understands the practice of pharmacy, the practice of the medication use process across the entire organization and where meds are used, how they're transferred all over the place and brought out of the pharmacy and into different areas. So when people ask questions, are they looking for how orders happen or how is dispensing happen or is it administration data that I'm looking at or is it truly rev, you know, the revenue side of it with charges and those types of things. And having that translator and a pharmacist on your team, I think is key up front. And like Evan said, not somebody who might get called into staffing. It is a talent and a skill set in and of itself to become that reporting and analytics expert. And you've got to invest their time and their expertise into allowing them to do that work and to have the value that you're looking for. And then you can put a team around them with additional data scientists or data analytics design of dashboards and views. Those are all sorts of talents that you might have within that pharmacist, or you might have a team around them that can provide that. And as you expand the number of technology and the type of technology, that's when you're going to find that data needs can often be insatiable. There's constantly new questions that are coming up, and you want to make sure you prioritize what your team's working on with the things that will provide the most bang for the buck. But you also need to make sure that you can add to that team if you continue to add ask them to take on more and to add in more technology and those types of things. Sticking with our theme of quotes, you know, the quote that comes to mind to me here is, is one of Stephen Covey's, I think it's from him, is that strengths, lines, and differences, not in similarities. And so having a diverse team is going to be key. And that's for this debate, how much technical, how much um, clinical do you need? 
I say the pharmacist is key, but certainly having a strong technician with some technical background and can help bridge that if that's how you need to start. Having some of that true technical team partnership, whether that's in your department or they have access to others in other departments, is going to be key to their success and their ability to provide information to you, the pharmacy leader, but also your entire organization who's looking for the medication use reports and information on outcomes. I have to say, I really appreciate, you know, both of your your concepts of not seeking perfection while developing the team, but really starting what you what would you have and growing it and then appreciating the different perspectives that each team member offers. Kind of transitioning over to, you know, how to get the data. I think that's really a key key factor to consider is how to make a good data request. And many organizations pay close attention to data security and oftentimes access to information is locked down, especially within platforms. So what are some best practices to ensure that data security is intact, but also ensuring that it's flexible enough to access the data that is needed? Yeah, Brittany, this is Sylvia, I'll start with this one. I think this is a great question. All of us want to know and have the confidence that our data is secure when I'm in a healthcare system. And in that organization, there are expectations regarding how that data can be accessed and who has controls over that information, whether it's identified or de-identified data that can be collated and pulled together. There's a lot of considerations that come into play. And what role the pharmacy department has in that versus the IT department or information services department, depending on your terminology, versus a separate data and analytics department that some organizations have. I think the key is the relationship that can be built, in particular among the leadership. And this is why I think this question's here at, at the leadership forum, which is often the, the technical teams can try and build those relationships and help justify their needs but they definitely need that relationship at a higher leadership level to say, hey, we really do provide value with our reporting team, with our analytics needs, and we need access to this data. And here's how we're going to follow the checks and balances that might be in place. They might have some level of scrutiny over the reporting individuals and other departments, and that's why they've locked it down and they've got some ways that they're, they're ensuring that data security has the, the utmost respect and that the steps that need to happen in there are in place. Great. Tell us what you have. We're going to put that into the pharmacy reporting team too. Having that conversation, building that trust and saying, this doesn't matter what department we're part of, but this is about us getting the data we need to run our business. The other piece, I think, is just that landscape of, of medication data. Um, I was going to say pharmacy data, but really it's, it's the medication data across it. There are very few clinical areas where medications are not used, and you want your your data and analytics team to get information from all of those areas. And that's not often seen by other departments. They don't realize why you might want data out of a clinic when you're, you're the pharmacy department. They may not realize why you want information out of different areas, probably infusion centers, those types of things are a little more logical to them, but it takes sometimes just that that relationship building and dialogue in order for people to have the respect that they need to have an understanding on the why. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that one of the things that that really is a, a challenge, especially at the beginning, and that that leadership can really help bridge is 
Uh, and of course, I'm a little biased being on a, a pharmacy reporting team, but pharmacy is pretty much everywhere, especially if your organization has clinic-based pharmacists. So even if a, med- if a clinic isn't providing medications, you still have credential providers that are in clinics, and those are whole other data sources. And so it it's certainly the more people I talk to, the the even more that I realize that people don't really know what pharmacists do as a profession. Kind of you know that leaving school and then your your eyes open up to it even more when you when you go into a healthcare system. But I agree with everything that was said. I think that another thing that's really great for, for leadership to address is if you are starting a team, get them connected in with whatever that centralized analytics resource is. Don't let them don't let them or make them, uh, quite honestly, work in a silo. There's there's plenty of analysts at at organizations that that don't have people to ask questions to whenever something comes up, and they have to kind of do their best guess, or they may take three times as long making something just because they don't have that relationship established. But it's also great because then there's no surprises. You know, your information services or IT isn't surprised that someone is asking for accessing this data. Or you're kind of told before something is sunset where you may not be otherwise. And so I think that all of that is is really important. And then just in terms of ensuring data security, something that I try to work with all of our customers on is uh, the minimum information you need. And so there's very few people in the healthcare system, or at least in pharmacy, that need patient name in their reports. If you're looking at dispensing from the central pharmacy, you know, an order ID while still PHI and, and protected by HIPAA and, uh, you know, a, a date timestamp, which also would be PHI, is it, still identifiable. It, it's not the patient's name, their social security number, their date of birth, things that, that really aren't going to help you analyze data. Now, if we're talking about you know, reimbursement or rev cycle data, you know, maybe there's more and more identifiers you need, but really kind of showing people that, well, just because you know that that MRN and name are available doesn't mean you need it in every data request you have. If you're not planning to go into Epic, do you need a number that you can type in, or sorry, Epic or whatever EHR you use, do you need a number that you can type in and actually get to that patient, or do you just need this data? Yeah, I have to agree. I I have been a a person who has requested data before and had the mindset of, you know, I would rather have more information than not enough or having to re-request more information. But you make a good point where, you know, what is the minimum information needed? And then sometimes you end up getting too much information. So if the data, the data is watered down and you're needing to filter through, you know, a bunch of data and information that you don't even need. So I, I do agree with that. Sometimes we just don't think about it in that context. So, you know, moving forward, we have this data team built that you guys taught us how to build. We now know how to make a good data request. What happens when the frontline staff or leadership is skeptical and confused about the new dashboard or reporting tool? How do you facilitate trust in the data, encourage adoption of this new dashboard or reporting tool, and then motivate your people and team to use it? Yeah, so I think this is a really great question and something everyone's going to run into if they're working in the analytics space. I personally uh, really like to to foster and support the frontline staff and leadership being skeptical. I want them to look at data the first time they see it 
and tell me, is this passing the sniff test? Is there something that doesn't make sense? It, even if it's just a, a faint idea that they aren't sure if, if something seems quite right, you know, I need to know because I am not the expert on your operational area or the financials of the department or the, you know, the number of patients you see in clinic you are. I, I'm the expert in how to get the data from point A to point B and to make it interpretable and actionable. And so there have been plenty of times where both people being skeptical have allowed us to catch and improve our processes. And unfortunately, people not being skeptical enough have taken things at face value or not voiced the skepticism. And we've had kind of basically a, a, a dead figure on one of our dashboards that the people just didn't trust, but no one told us they didn't trust. And, and that's not helpful for anyone because, you know, if, if frontline manager knows that they don't trust it, but, you know, executive director three or four rungs up the ladder doesn't know that, then, you know, someone's, something's going to happen at some point where things, decisions were made inadvertently on bad data. But in terms of how to kind of support the healthy skepticism is, you know, I asked them, like, does this number seem right for this, this time period or this number of days? Or if possible, I'll ask them before I start pulling the data, how, how many patients are you expecting to have received this drug in the past year? Like, are we talking in the, the, the 10 to 100 or like the 1,000 to 3,000? Because certainly that can also help me or my analysts troubleshoot as we go if we've built, uh, if we have an issue with our report. Or if it's in a new data source, if we don't quite understand the data source that, the way that we thought we would. Um, but we really ask people to, to plan to dedicate some time doing data validation or having things in a test state where they can look at it for, for a few days in a row or go in and have a, an employee or a learner or, or someone do a little bit of data validation to make sure that what they're seeing is what they think they're seeing. Because again, kind of looping back to the teaching requesters what to request pieces is I could have shown you exactly what you asked for, but it wasn't what you thought you asked for. And neither of us know that. And, and again, like my goal is to, to make sure that people never feel like they have been slighted by using data that I've provided. So, so I really try to, to foster that, that relationship of this is our dashboard from day one. Well, Evan, I think those are some really key points. And it really provides that human element to you as a report writer, being somebody who wants to build that confidence and build that trust. And I think for all of the leaders, as you look at dashboards or as you have your team look at dashboards and you start to share with them that we're going to now track X, that you've got to have that relationship and that there is a report writer behind it. It's not just the machines coming up with their own data, but it is somebody who wants that feedback. It is somebody who wants to engage with you and make sure that it's accurate and that you can have confidence in the data that you're looking at. And similar to what we talked about at the beginning with the initial onset of a project or change to your practice, having your report writers there and data analysts there at the forefront will help to provide the right metrics and will help to showcase what you've done in the dashboards that you want to create. So the earlier you can bring them into the conversation, the better. The same goes vice versa. As the report writers start to dig in, the earlier they can throw the numbers out to you, show you what they're seeing, and you can have that critical eye and say, yes, this, this 
passes the sniff test. Yes, we are doing hundreds of this, not thousands of this. We're in the same ballpark. It, it's looking accurate. The more it builds their confidence in how they pull those data reports together for you. And I really think that's that's one of the keys. Building that expectation of why are we creating this report anyway? It's it's a lot of effort on these report writers' parts to pull together a dashboard. What's the overall goal and what's the expected use of it? Because having it just set out there not used is is a wasted use of the, the report writers' talents, but definitely their goal is to provide you with the value and providing that conversation two-way street is going to be important for that. So I'll just end with one one final quote, and this is an Einstein quote, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. So I think that's also where some of the skepticism that I've heard come into play in some of the discussions are as well. Can't you find this data? Well, I'd really like to answer this question. Sometimes your report writers can get you close. They can get you a, a surrogate for what you're really looking at, but they can't always get to what you're trying to count. And it's important to have that dialogue about why they pull together what they have. Are really great points, um, especially surrounded around building expectations, knowing the why, why do we even want this, and, and the team knowing why, and then also just agreeing that trust is such a huge factor in the teams and these projects and goal lives and facilitating that within our teams and how important it is. Well, that is all the time we have today. So I want to thank both Sylvia and Evan for joining us today to discuss translating data into action. Join us here on Tuesdays where we will be talking with ASHP members about leadership topics within pharmacy practice. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.